Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Listen, I've got a very simple message this morning. I, uh, if, if I had to give today's message a title, it, it, would, it would be something like this. Um, get planted by the river. That, as a simple title, get planted by the river. Um, I'm going to read to you from Jeremiah chapter 17. Now, now, when Jeremiah writes his prophecies, he always starts off with the bad news, but it ends up with good news. So as I start to read this, don't get, you know, don't get discouraged, don't get intimidated, don't think this is going to be a heavy message. You know, there's the bad news and the good news. You know, the bad news is we're sinners. The good news is that God loves us and sent Jesus to die for us, okay? So there's always, there's always good news with the bad news in the Bible. Uh, and, and so sometimes, um, you know, we focus too much on the bad news. But, the, you know, the gospel is called good news. Um, but it's only good news if you understand the bad news. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, people in the world are falling apart, but the kingdom of God is here. Yeah? So there's a certain reality, and then there's God's reality breaking in. Listen, let me just say one thing. The whole point of the resurrection is this. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the new creation that God has always intended has broken in. It, it's, so the new creation is not just something we're waiting for when Jesus returns. It's already here in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so change and transformation is entirely possible. It's, impos- it's possible for you as an individual, and it's possible for our communities, and it's possible for our nations. Change can take place. I, I believe that right down to my toes, and I've seen it. Um, so, so we're all part of that new creation. But l- let me read to you from Jeremiah 17. Let's see, hear this prophecy. Here's what he says, Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. Here's, here it goes. Cursed is the man. That's not a great way to start, is it? But okay, this this is it. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. The old King James says makes flesh his arm. So they've translated it well by saying strength because arm was a metaphor. It was a bit of idiom speech for somebody's strength. So is the Lord's arm shortened that it cannot save? So, So the arm, metaphorically, is a picture of somebody's strength. You know, when you push weights, you do it with your arms, right? When you do push-ups, you do it with your arms. The strength is in the arm. And so here, if you make flesh your strength, in other words, if you depend purely on human ability, human thinking, human ingenuity, human wisdom, if that's the only thing you depend on, you're actually living under a curse. That's the bad news. So curse is a man who trusts in man. Whose heart departs from the Lord. He shall be like a shrub in the desert, shall not see when the good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. I'll come back to some of those points. Now, now let's get on to the good news. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. So there's already a contrast here between what you're trusting in. Are you trusting in the flesh? Are you trusting in your ability, your, your wisdom? your learning, your education, your connections. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, providing they're subservient to you trusting in God. Because when you trust in the Lord, 
you're under the blessing. And, and I want us to, as a group of people, I want us as a group of churches, I want us to live under the blessing that is possible by trusting God. Proverbs 3.5 says it like this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Do you get that? So leaning on your understanding is you're always trying to work it out. You're always trying to use your brilliant mind and, and some of you have got brilliant minds. And some of you are jealous of that, the people who've got brilliant minds. But listen, you don't need to be if you trust God. Because he is just more brilliant. His foolishness is wiser than any brilliant mind in this room today. <laughs> Isn't that good? <laughs> He's blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. You know, um, trusting in anything as a substitute for trusting in God is, is, is always going to lead to disappointment. It's always going to lead to a place where you feel uh, less than you should. David, um, sorry, the Apostle Paul put it like this in Philippians chapter 3. Hey, do you know I found since I've had jet lag, it's, I say sentences and I miss out words. And people look at me and go, what? And in my head, I said it properly. So what's wrong with you? Let me say it again. They said, yeah, you missed out that word when you said that last sentence. Or, or I, I use the wrong word. So if that happens in my preaching here today, it's jet lag. If I offend you today, that was jet lag. Okay? So you're going to be really gracious to me today. I'm really nice. <laughs> oh, you still got a heckler's ear, haven't you? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, he says this. Paul, Paul speaking, we're of the, we're of the circumcision uh, who worship God in the Spirit. Listen to this little list. Worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. That's such a powerful statement. This, the man who wrote these words was probably one of the greatest intellectual minds that has ever lived. Philosophers have said that about the Apostle Paul. You should see N.T. Wright. He's written a new book um, about a biography about the Apostle Paul. Uh, and it really gives you a tremendous appreciation of Paul's powerful intellect. But he says here, we've got no confidence in the flesh. And then he writes this, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence, I more so. You think you're clever? you got nothing on me. And then he gives a whole list of all the reasons why he could have confidence. Because he was born, uh, uh, he was born uh, a Hebrew. He was born Jewish. You know, and in, in those circles, you know, that gave you status. The Jewish people were the blessed nation, the chosen nation above all the nations of the earth. He says, if I had confidence in the flesh, you're a Gentile, I'm a Jew, I'm better than you. You know, and then he talks about his learning and he talks about his pharisaical education and uh, learning at the feet of Gamaliel in Jerusalem. He, he talks in other places how he was born a Roman and born free. And when he's talking to another Roman who says, well, I bought my freedom, how did you get yours? And he says, well, I was born free a Roman. 
And there was so much about his life where he could boast and have confidence in and think that he was superior and better than other people. But he says here, I have learned in my life, despite all those things which are an advantage to me, to have no confidence in the flesh. I don't look to those things. I don't trust in those things. They're not the things I rely on. My trust is in God. We worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. You see, he understood if he put his confidence in the flesh, he's living under a curse. He's living under a curse. And you know, let me, let me rephrase what a curse sounds, what a curse actually is. It's like where stuff just keeps going wrong. And it doesn't mean it's wrong all the time. It means just when you want it to go right, it goes wrong. That's what a curse is. So it's like, you know, you plant a seed, you grow a tree, you grow it up for three years, five years, seven years, no fruit. How annoying is that? How annoying is that? That took up space for seven years. It's like a relationship where you date, you go out, you think it's going to be great, you invest five years in the relationship, you get dumped. How annoying is that? Oh, okay. Nobody wants to own up to that one. You see, curse is just where it never bears fruit. There's just, you're like the shrub in the desert. (laughs) Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 30. God is speaking to the nation of Israel. He says, I call heaven and earth, verse 19, to witness against you today that I have set before you, now listen to this, life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. Now, now, now you, you need to understand how biased God is towards your welfare. He is totally biased. So he says, look, in life, you're free to make choices. You, you can choose life. You can choose death. You can choose blessing. You can choose thirst. Go ahead. It's not like that. It's like being on the show, uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And can you imagine if you're on the show and you says A, B, C, or D? And then the compass says, choose A. Yeah, right. yeah. Duh. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like God says, I said before you, life and death, blessing, cursing, choose life. Now, now what guy on Who Wants a Millionaire when the compass says, the answer is A, he's going to choose B. That's a kind of duh moment, isn't it? That's just such a dumb thing to do. In fact, when the rabbis were teaching this, they used to say, here's how, here's how they taught it in rabbinical school. They said, God is setting for you life and death, blessing, cursing. And then they did this, and God says, choose life. In other words, he only holds out one hand. He puts the other one hand behind his back. That's his desire for the nation here. Now listen, you're free to make any choice you want to make in life. Here's the thing. You're never free to choose the consequences of the choices you make. That's why God says what to choose. Listen, you're free to overeat. You're free to do that. You're not free to decide how much weight you will gain if you overeat. Hello? 
You're free to be anorexic if you want to. You're not free to choose if you'll be healthy if you go down that road. You're free to skip classes at college. You're not free to decide what the outcome of your exams is. You're free to cheat on your spouse. You're not free to decide if your marriage will last. You see, you're free to do anything. But if you're going to make a choice, think through, where does that choice take me? It's like, it's like if you want to go on a journey and you want to end up in a destination, you don't just go on any road hoping it'll take you there. You do Google Maps or something like that and you say, well, that's where I want to go. What's the road that's going to take me there? Life is exactly the same. There are choices in life that will take you in the wrong place, in the wrong direction. You won't end up in a good place. So think about where you want to go. And once you decide where you want to go, that determines the kind of choices you're going to make there. Do you get that? Do you know what I've discovered about the millennial generation? And I don't mean this as an insult. I I, I just mean this as an observation. It's a generation that likes to keep its options open. You know, well, you know, do you want to come to my party on Saturday? Well, so-and-so might be having a party, so I'm just going to wait and see what they do. Or do you want to come on this holiday? Yeah, well, I'd I'd like to go there, but so-and-so might be going over here, so I'm just going to keep my options open. How many times, or how many of you are aware that every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to everything else? That's, That's axiomatic. In other words, one automatically implies the other. That's why when you get married and you say yes to that girl or that guy, when you say yes to them, you are actually saying no to everyone else who was on offer. You're not saying, I'm going to keep my options open. You're saying, no, I'm actually going to make a decision. I'm going to make a commitment. And isn't it nice to know the other person's making the same decision? Not in the back of their mind. Well, I'm going to say yes today, but I'm going to keep my options open. You don't build a marriage that way. You don't build a life together that way. You build a life by saying yes to something. You build a life by saying, that's where I want to go. That's the direction I want my life to move in. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate your response. (laughs) Trusting God gives us real strength. Here's what it says. So, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. You know what, I, this word hope. Oh, thank you. This guy is good. Let me drive his car today. I was expecting the other car, the old car. He gave me the new car. I was like, whoa. Reuben and I nearly went for a nice little drive down the motorways. That's good. Okay. Uh, whose hope the Lord is. The, the, another word for hope is expectations. Yeah. Expectations. I often talk to people and they say to me, oh, I've learned not to live with expectations. Can I just say this? I've been doing this a long, long time. Every single person in this room has an expectation. If you don't know what your expectations are, let me give you a clue. Tell me what your disappointments in life are because your disappointments in life are your unfulfilled expectations. We all have them. We all have them. 
And, and sometimes what we do is we, we, when we go through a lot of disappointment, what happens is we try to live life without expectations, thinking, well, if I have no expectations, I won't have any disappointments. It doesn't work like that. You remember the story about the two boys. They were twin brothers. They were born into this family. Two absolutely identical twins, but as they were growing up, one was a pessimist and one was an optimist. And uh, the father just, you know, every year the pessimist was just negative about his birthday, negative about his presence. And so one year he decided, okay, I'm going to teach both these boys an important lesson. So they were about 12 years of age. It was their birthday. So for the boy who was the pessimist, he bought every toy imaginable. And then for the boy who was the optimist, he literally got half a ton of manure in a box. And that was it. And he was walking past the, the pessimist boy's bedroom, and he's in there, and he was crying. He got all these toys, and he was crying. And he's, he said, son, what's wrong? And he said, well, I've got all these toys, and all my friends are going to be jealous of me. And then one day they're going to break, and they're going to ask to borrow them. And it's just, oh, just life is just so difficult. And then he went past the son, who was the optimist, and he was just jumping for joy, and he was right in the middle of this manure, and it was flying all over the room. And he said, son, why are you so happy? He said, well, with all this manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> all of us need to live with expectations. And, and it says here, the one who is blessed, who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is the Lord. He's got an expectation from God. He's living with a sense that breakthrough's going to come one day. It may not be here today, but I'm trusting God. I'm believing God. He's for me. He's not against me. He's on my side. He's going to fight my battles. I just love this. And now here's the contrast. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters. Come on, he's planted by the water. He's like a tree. You see, there's a difference between a shrub and a tree. Here's the difference. One has stunted growth. The contrast is one in size. You know, over the years, I've met people who declare, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I've discovered that that's just a title that we all carry. Look, you might today be a father, or you might be a mother, or you might be a son, but that says nothing about your character. You could be a lousy father. You could be a lousy mother, or you could be a great father. Carrying the title father doesn't make you a success. It's what you get planted into. It's what you get nourished by. And so often we can be stunted people. We're like the shrub in the desert. <laughs> what does this guy do who's planted by the rivers? He spreads out his roots by the river. <laughs> Take a look at this. <clears throat> Here's a contrast. The cursed man is like a shrub in the desert. Here's three things about the cursed man. He cannot see the good when it comes. You ever met people like that? Yeah. They're, they're, they're like the boy with all the toys. Oh, they're going to get broken one day. People are going to be jealous of me. They cannot see the good when it comes. Good things will happen to them. You talk about, and they'll always focus on the negative thing that happened that week or the negative thing that happened this many years ago. Or the neg- Hey, come on, your life is good. Have you got health? 
your life is good. Are your kids healthy? Your life is good. You got food on the table? Your life is good. Do you know that we live, the Western world, we live in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you have a bed, if you have a roof over your head, if you have a car, if you have food on the table, you are in the top 3% of the people in the world. Your life is good. Do you see the good when it comes? Or are you so, are you like the shrub? You know, the shrub in the desert, I mean, that, that guy, um, sorry, yeah, the shrub in the desert doesn't see the good when it comes. You know what, the, the man who trusts in the laws, it says he won't fear when the heat comes. What a difference. We've had a heat wave in London. Six weeks, six weeks, 28 degrees, bumping up to 31. Oh, it's been awesome. So, so j- j- this has been my life, okay? This has been my life. I came to New Zealand, four months of summer. Thank you, Jesus. I go back to England, and I go back to summer. I've just decided maybe I'm just going to travel backwards and forwards. I'm going to live in permanent summer. You see, here's what happens. When you rely purely on yourself or other people, it blocks your power to discern things. You you become spiritually dull, so you don't see the good when it comes because your filter's wrong. It, It blocks your ability. But you see, the guy who's living under a blessing, what happens is, he doesn't see the heat when it comes. Everyone's talking about how hot it is. He said, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, don't you feel it? No, no, I've got roots. You, you keep relying on the rain. I'm not looking for the rain. I've got the river. And the river keeps flowing. See, the river in Ezekiel 47, it's the river of God. It flows out of the throne of God. And you know what? The more it flows, the bigger it gets. And, and, and the, the, the metaphor here is, come on, get your life planted by a river for, so when there's no rain for a season, you know, you don't have to worry. I hear people all the time praying for revival. They want rain. Well, what are you going to do till the rain comes? Listen, I'm not waiting for revival. I'm living in a secret revival. I got a root into revival. Do you get that? You've got to live your life that way. Sometimes people are waiting for God to do something. God is saying, come on, just get planted by the river and you can do something. (sighs) Maybe you're relying too much on yourself if you don't see the good. Maybe. Just a thought. Here's the second thing about the curse. The guy who's, who's like the shrub in the desert. He lives his life in a parched place. He's constantly thirsting for something he can't have. The Bible says in Matthew 5, if you thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. And if you're not filled and you're not overflowing and you're not full, maybe you're thirsting for the wrong thing. Maybe you're living in a parched place where it's never going to meet your thirst. But you see, the guy, here's the guy who is blessed, who's like the tree planted by the river. 
He's not anxious in the year of drought. He's not anxious. We've got a hosepipe ban now in London. You can't water the gardens. All the gardens are turning brown. And, uh, you know, it's just interesting looking at it all. You know, everyone's worried about it. But this guy, he's not anxious in the year of drought. Why? Because he's not drinking it from above. He's drinking it from below. Do you get this? Here's the third thing. The cursed guy, the guy who's like the shrub in the desert. You know what? He lives in a land that's uninhabited. He's constantly lonely. You know why you're lonely? Because nobody wants to live where you're living. You know, sometimes we go into a place, and by a place, I'm not talking about geography. I'm talking about a state I'm talk- of mind. I'm talking about an attitude of heart. Sometimes we go into a place, and what we want is everyone else to live where we are. You know, I'm depressed. Come and live in my place of depression. Come and sympathize with me. Come and stroke me. Make me feel good in my place. No, no, no. You move out of your place. Leave that place and go to a different place. Instead of being like a shrub in the desert, why don't you get planted by the river? Why don't you put down a root into a secret place of joy that nobody knows about but the Lord knows about? It says in in his presence there's fullness of joy. Come on, friends. Why choose to live in that place when Jesus Christ died on a cross to redeem you, to save you, to put new creation power within you so that you could live in a different place? It's so important we make those choices. The third, instead of being lonely and isolated, by the way, there's a lovely proverb. I forget where it is in Proverbs. It says this, um, Every man who seeks his own desire, um, hmm. let me paraphrase it because I can't remember it exactly. A man who isolates himself, takes himself to a place of loneliness, to a place where he disconnects. A man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire. And then it says this, he rages against all wise judgment. Have you ever seen anyone in a rage? Don't you talk to me like that. How dare you? You ever met anyone like that? Yeah, you may do this week. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He's got his own agenda. He relies on the arm of the flesh. He relies on his own strength. And when you try to talk to him, say, man, you don't need to stay there. He rage. You don't know what I've been through. How dare you? It's like daddy, 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 da. Get over yourself. Stop isolating yourself. Stop being like that guy who's like the shrub in the desert. Don't live in a parched place. Don't be that lonely, isolated individual. Listen, when you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into his body. It's a community. It's people. It's togetherness. When you get planted by the river, you know what? You begin to bear fruit. That's the That's the contrast here. He's an evergreen. His leaf doesn't wither. His leaf stays green. And he bears fruit. Wow. Even in the drought time, he's expecting to bear fruit. What a contrast. Why? Because he's planted and he has roots that spread out. There's a hidden supply of nutrition. How are we doing? 
It's great having a fan like that, isn't it? It's not going to happen. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. When we trust God, there's real strength and real hope in trusting God. Real strength. Now, sometimes we think, well, when I'm trusting God, I'm going to feel strong. It doesn't work like that. Sometimes when you're trusting God and you're going to find his strength, you actually feel weak. Can you imagine someone like the Apostle Paul? He was a powerful praying man. He prayed all the time, actually. In fact, when he wrote letters, he got so excited while writing the letter. Can you imagine it? He's got a guy he's dictating to who's writing it down. Paul would literally fall to his knees and start praying for the people he's writing to. Ephesians chapter 3. I bow my knees to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would grant you to be uh, strengthened by his spirit in the inner man, uh, that you would comprehend with all the saints the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of the love of God. And, uh, you know, goes on like that but I mean that's like a prayer halfway through a a dictation (laughs) who does that it's like he he's just praying all the time and he he can't help it he can't help pray because sometimes when he thinks about people it just flows out of him it just oh god I just pray I bow my knees to the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ in whom all the families of heaven and earth are named you know and he just boom off he goes in here, there's real strength. He prays to God and he says, God, there's this thorn in the flesh, take it away. In fact, he prays three times. And in the end, he gets an answer to his prayer. And the answer is not, yeah, I'm going to do that. The answer is, no, it's staying. <laughs> oh, that sucks. But then God says this to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes you're praying for God to make you stronger and God is actually going to make you weaker in order that you can know his strength. Shall I say that again? Sometimes we pray for strength expecting God to make us stronger but in praying for his strength he will make us weaker in order that in our weakness we will know his strength. That's how the grace of God works. You see, as long as you can say, yeah, yeah, I prayed and I got strengthened. Well, who's at the center of that? (laughs) But when you say, I prayed and I felt like giving up, and then right at the last moment, God broke in and gave me strength. He gave me strength. Do you know, even if you stuff up, God can give you strength. The Christian life is not always about making the right decisions. It's about always depending on God, even when you make the wrong ones. It's about turning away from the wrong decisions and say, oh, that was so unwise, but I've learned a lesson. God, I come back. That's called repentance. I come back. I trust you. I lean on you. You know, I, I, I read the story of Samson. You know, I, I'm looking forward to meeting him one day. This guy, Samson, like the strongest man who ever lived, you know. Um, because he was such an idiot. It's like, like, like if, you were, if you were dating somebody who's really, really attractive, and she says, what's the secret of your strength? And you say, well, it's, I forget what he says the first time, if my hair is tied with these things, I'll lose all my strength. And then you fall asleep and all of a sudden she does it and you wake up and she shouts at you, the Philistines be upon you, Samson. 
and he breaks out and kills all the Philistines. Wouldn't you mistrust her just a little bit? Wouldn't you think this girl's got a little bit of an agenda here? But he does it three times. You know, not it's like, duh. I, I, just, I just want to say, man, she must have been some hottie for you to do that. <laughs> you were just really overcome there, weren't you? <laughs> Thank you. And by the third time, you know, the Philistines literally cut his hair. He loses his strength, pluck out his eyes. And it's like, who's to blame? It's like, seriously. Seriously, like, I think, you know, the first time you might have got the hint. The second time, you know, like the first time, shame on you. Second time, shame on me. The third time, what's going on? And here he is. He's, he's lost his sight. He's lost his vision. <laughs> there's a story right there. But there's this wonderful verse in the book of Judges about Samson. And here it is. It says they threw him in a dungeon. And the verse says this. And Samson's hair began to grow again. Isn't that beautiful? the source of his strength started to return. Even in the prison, even when he's blind, even when he's disobeyed God, even when he's made the most stupid set of decisions any man who's ever lived has ever made for an attractive woman. Even when he's done all of that, the grace of God comes on his life and his hair begins to grow again. I don't know how long they left him in that dungeon, but by the time they brought him out to that party to parade him in front of all the Philistines, he had a little lad lead him to where the pillows were. You know, because now he's blinded, there's no distractions. Now he's blinded, he's got a spiritual focus. Now he's blinded, he's not relying on the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and all those things. Now he's trusting God and in his death he defeats more Philistines than in his lifetime because God right at the end brings new strength into his body and he accomplishes more at the end than he ever did in his lifetime. That's the grace of God. That is the grace of God, friends. Trusting God gives us new strength. In 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, I'm going to close very soon. Can we have a keyboard player up or something? It says this, now David, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, now David was greatly distressed. This is where the Amalekites had raided his village, Ziklag, and they burned it with fire. Can you imagine that? Destroying the whole village. His wives were taken captive and all the, the entire city was plundered. David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. You know, it's very difficult to lead when things go wrong. Leading when things go right is easy. You're a hero. You're brilliant. You're fantastic. Leading when things go wrong is really hard. Because there is something in human nature that always wants us to point the finger and blame. And that's what's happening here for David. Never mind the fact that he had fed them and led them for almost two years, taking care of them. 
Now, now things had gone wrong and now they're speaking of stoning him. It's, it's your fault. Because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. Let me just say this to you. When you're in a place of grief, making life decisions is not a great thing to do when you're in a season of grief. Blaming other people for how you feel when you're in a season of grief is not a wise road to take. When you're in a season of grief, what you actually need to do is you actually need to acknowledge the disappointment you're living with. And you need to allow yourself to grieve and to cry and to feel tears and to, to cry those tears and to let it go. Before Israel entered to Canaan under Joshua, God allowed the nation to grieve for 40 days for Moses. He just let them grieve. He was a great man, he'd led them, he'd done many mighty miracles. And when he died, the nation was in grief. And so God let them grieve. Then after 40 days, he said, that's it. And can I just say this? There's a time to cry, there's a time to be sad, there's a time to let go, there's a time to grieve, and then there's a time to rise up. There's a time to get on and move on. There's a time to let it go and not let it hold you back from the destiny that you have for your life. Here's what David did. Everyone's speaking of stoning him. Everyone's grieved, everyone's unhappy. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Sometimes people won't be there to strengthen you. What do you do? Strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. Let me say it another way. Trust him with all your heart and lean on in your understanding. Let me say it another way. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Let me say it another way. He's the man who's blessed because he trusts in the Lord. This is what it's about, friends. I'll finish with one final text from Psalm 92. It says this, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Lebanon had the tallest cedar trees in the world. They were phenomenal. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh. <laughs> I'm with you. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness with him. Do you know in this little text here of three verses, the word flourish is used three times. You know, when something flourishes, it grows quickly. It's like you, you, you put it there, you put all the seeds in, and then a few months later, it's like you've got a garden. And you think, wow, how did it flourish like that? And it says here, you've got to get planted in the house of the Lord. Hey, listen, you know I've discovered there are some Christians, and instead of get planted by the river, instead of getting planted by the house of the Lord, you know what they do? They plant themselves in a pot. And they're like little pot plants. And then when they get offended, they pick up their plot, pot and they walk away. And they go, I think I'll go over to this church and I'll put my pot down here. 
And then they're there in that church for a while. Then they get offended there or somebody says something they don't like. And they pick up their little pot and they go over here. And then they put their pot down here. They never put a root down in the house of the Lord. They put a pot down. You see, when you put a root down, you know what happens to roots with other trees? They get all tangled up. And our lives begin to intersect and our lives begin to intertwine. And suddenly now, leaving is very difficult because you know what? I love this person and I invested in this person and this person loves me and we're doing life together and we're feeling a bit grieved right now. We're in a bit of pain. But you know what? We're going to trust in the Lord with all our heart. We're not going to lean on our understanding. We're going to learn how to have confidence in our God. We're going to be like a tree planted by the river. When you're planted by the river, you get planted in the house of God. You get planted there. You get roots down there. You get to thrive there. I don't want to have a church that's like a whole group of shrubs, stunted growth, limited growth, limited faith. I want to have a church that's like cedars of Lebanon, tall, strong, mature, life-giving, transforming, redemptive. That's what we need in God's house today. Fruitful in old age. Listen, I've been doing this for 40 years, friends. I don't want to burn out. I just want to be fruitful right up until the last day. Oh, I'll take that. They are fresh and they have a testimony. They declare the Lord is upright and he is my rock. There's no unrighteousness in him. You know, there's nothing, God has never dealt badly with me in life. Never. And I want to say this to some of you here today. God will never take away what is good in your world without giving you something better. And God will never take away something that's better without giving you the best. And if you're in the season where you lost the good and you're waiting for the better, you're just in an in-between season. That's all it is. That's all it is. Just keep trusting. Be, decide I'm going to be the blessed man who's got a root by the river. I'm going to be somebody who's planted in the house of God. I'm going to be somebody who's going to flourish in this place because I'm invested. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.